Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I interview founders, thought leaders, executives, entrepreneurs, co-founders, you name it, in crypto and blockchain around the world. And uh, today I have another amazing guest. And this name is really easy to say. <laughs> so, um, and I'm happy about that. So my guest today is the founder, uh, co-founder and CEO of Pocket Network. His name is Michael O'Rourke. Michael, welcome. Yeah, thanks for, for, for having me, Jamil. Really, really happy to be here. And you pronounced my, my name uh, uh, perfectly. Awesome. Awesome. I'm happy about that. So let's kick things off. And I'll ask you the first question. Is this? It's easy. What is your background? And is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Yeah, what is my background? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I find that uh, uh, in, in the Web3 and crypto space, everyone has an incredibly uh, diverse background. And I'd say mine is more non-traditional. Um, quickly on myself, I was born in the Dominican Republic in the Caribbean, but uh, from two years old, moved to Tampa, Florida. Uh, and I say that because uh, uh, when I discovered Bitcoin in, in 2013, Previous to that, I had learned uh, to use Western Union to send money to my family pretty pretty early on, and also had worked at a couple credit unions in 2011 and 2012, selling uh, car loans and credit cards and that sort of thing. And after seeing thousands of, of credit reports, uh, uh, you kind of see how messed up the financial system can be for some people. And as a result, uh, uh, you know, after stumbling across an article on Wired magazine about Bitcoin in 2013. Uh, I kind of started to really dig deep into the rabbit hole. Uh, I started to stumble onto the subreddit, uh, read the white paper. Uh, then I, I became, uh, 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 you know, uh, just someone who's just you know, purchasing Bitcoin and, and and just kind of reading along the news and that sort of thing. And in 2013, 2014, I was also uh, becoming an iOS developer at the time. And uh, that kind of led me to, to developing my first uh, uh, smart contract on Ethereum in 2016. And I've really only had a couple uh, through, that, through that process. I've had a couple uh, uh, moments where, you know, I've really been just mind blown when I'm, I'm, I'm doing something related to engineering or coding. First one was making my first HTTP request. Uh, the second one was deploying my first smart contract uh, uh, because you deploy this program and for the first time, you're just like, wow. This is unbelievable. I can't believe that uh, I can't get uh, rug pulled by you know Twitter APIs or Facebook APIs or Google APIs. And that for me was just a really seminal moment uh, that led me to just dig even deeper. And really, you know, since I was learning to code, I was able to actually contribute and build because at the time, uh, Bitcoin uh, was very very difficult to, to to really contribute to unless you're one of the core kind of Bitcoin uh, developers uh, working on the client. Uh, uh, and yeah, that got me really, really excited. Uh, my co-founders and I were working at a startup uh, down in Sarasota, Florida at the time and started experimenting with different ideas uh, uh, of what we wanted to do. And at the time we, we used various infrastructure providers while we were kind of uh, uh, experimenting with these different ideas. The first idea was, was something called, called Telcoin. Uh, where we wanted to uh, tokenize your cell phone data and incentivize people to build these 5G, tel these 5G cell towers and all these different things. And we kind of realized that was far too, um, uh, uh, you know, it was too early for, for, for that to really uh, uh, happen. Uh, but the, through that process, we had basically uh, used various different infrastructure providers, built a couple test apps and 
and kind of uh, triangulated across this idea of, of incentivizing full nodes uh, 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 after reading you know, various forum threads, traveling to different conferences and that sort of thing. And that's kind of what led to, to Pocket Network. But uh, I would say just with my background, you know, uh, uh, to answer your question, uh, uh, one, you know, born in the Caribbean, you know, understand what what it's like to to to, to live out there or, or or in countries like that. Played a ton of video games growing up, so this idea of digital value um, was was not foreign to me. And then, of course, what I think really radicalized me was working at these credit unions for for a couple of years in 2011 and 2012, uh, which led me to to Bitcoin and 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 kind of led led the path uh, to where we are today. Interesting. Um, I haven't had many guests from the Caribbean, had a few, um, but I will ask you about that a little bit later. I do want to find out first what Pocket Network is all about. And then you said something that I have a follow-up on that I found intriguing. Um, so let's go to the first, what the Pocket Network is all about, you know, including your founding story of Pocket Network. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, our we, we, we really, I, I have a few fundamental beliefs about the space today. Um, one, I believe that uh, uh, all, if not most, of uh, the world's value will be facilitated or coordinated by blockchains. And uh, uh, that means there's a lot of data that's going to need to be passed from your laptop or your cell phone to the full node on Ethereum. And uh, as we were kind of uh, uh, figuring out our idea, we, we, we saw that, this, uh, that there was really only one infrastructure provider at the time. Uh, that was was really doing 90, 95% of all the traffic. And, you know, if we are building a uh, these systems that uh, will become their own institutions, it felt very problematic for us to only have, you know, one or a handful of companies really uh, operating the core piece of infrastructure that, that we use uh, uh, to access data. Um, so really, at the end of the day, what Pocket does, uh, you can, uh, uh, it's, it's a protocol that incentivizes people to run full nodes for other blockchains to then serve data to applications. A very simple example for that is if you open up your wallet uh, and you see that you have five ETH in your balance and you see that little loading screen, um, and then the five ETH kind of pops up on your screen, that data comes from services like ours. And uh, uh, it's very important for uh, that kind of core base layer of infrastructure uh, uh, to be a, proto uh, a protocol and, and I believe a, a public good. Uh, for 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 the future of the space, so um, that's really what Pocket Network does, and then we have Pocket Network Inc., which is the development company that has built Protocol, uh, which is I, which is what I am the CEO of uh, of Pocket Network Inc. Uh, uh, but but yeah, so so Pocket is an L1 blockchain that uh, uh, incentivizes people to run full nodes all around the world uh, to then provide data to various different types of developers and applications. So we've got you know DeFi gaming gaming applications using us, lots of wallets. Uh, these sorts of these, you know, other indexers as well. Um, so really, at the end of the day, everyone needs uh, a full node. And uh, uh, to kind of distinguish it a little bit more, um, uh, we work really well with the just-in-time data. So this is what you know is pretty commonly known as the the RPC or remote procedure call. Um, so it's like you want some data within the last fifty blocks or something like that. Uh, Pocket is a great service for that. Um, the other piece of information that you're seeing when you're you know, using any Web3 application is more indexed or historical data as well, uh, which is something that we can't support. But but today we're really just laser focused on on, on solving this this RPC problem. Got it. Now I'll go back to the thing I found <clears throat> interesting. And when you, you talked about your background, <clears throat> and it's a uh, 
you said people get rugged by Facebook or Twitter APIs, right? When I think of people getting rugged, I think of, you know, the developers or I think of Lazarus or I think of, you know, bad actors. Um, I had a balance in a WhatsApp, you know, and I converted from Facebook, you know, from um, on WhatsApp, from regular Facebook, regular to a business Facebook uh, WhatsApp. And my took and my tokens were just mysteriously gone. Right. I didn't think of it as being rugged by the Facebook API. Right. How do people get rugged by these, you know, the Facebook APIs and what can we do about that? Yeah. So there's plenty of stories of people building their businesses, for example, on, on Google, where they change how their algorithm works or they choose to uh, show different things uh, on top of yours. And uh, you then have no option when your entire business is built on, on that, for example. Um, so, you know, we, there's plenty of stories of businesses uh, 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 completely getting killed from, you know, say 100K revenue to, to 10K revenue overnight uh, because of the change in the API or how they change the, the sorting or ordering of things. Uh, when it comes to Facebook, for example, uh, they used to have uh, a great gaming uh, system uh, with back in the day. And overnight, uh, you know, you had Zynga, you had a bunch of companies that, that, that were built on top on the back of that. And overnight, they decided to, hey, this wasn't uh, conducive to our business. Uh, we're going to change that, right? And the nice thing about uh, and the realization about when I really launched my first smart contract is that I could define what those rules were and no one could change it, right? Uh, which is really important. And not even I could change it once those were defined, right? And now that everyone knows the same rules of the game, everyone can, can, can play on kind of an even playing field, if you will. Um, uh, when it comes to, to things like that. So when I say the Facebook or Google or Twitter, you know, Twitter had a bunch of open source clients uh, uh, when they first launched and then they shut that down, for example. And people were building legitimate businesses on top of Twitter uh, uh, back in the early 2010s, right? Uh, uh, either Twitter acquired them or just completely shut down uh, uh, their APIs uh, so that people couldn't build those businesses. And we would have had, we could have had a very flourishing ecosystem of very different, Twitter or different Twitter clients and that sort of thing. So when I say getting rugged by an API, it's the centralized company changing the the rules uh, of, of the game, basically. And, and that's what's really powerful about this space is that you're able to deploy a smart contract or, you know, build a protocol like Pocket and, and, and have uh, the users of the platform dictate what changes should be made moving forward, uh, which is really important. And those users are the ones who are building the businesses and, and really deriving the value uh, uh, out of what's being built. So you're helping developers not build upon centralized infrastructures. You're helping empower developers through building decentralized infrastructures. How do you, what do you focus on with that? How do you do it? <laughs> uh, that's, that's a deep question. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, um, how do you do it? Well, you know, at the time we we started thinking about this in, in late 2016, 2017, um, uh, there wasn't too much available at the time. Uh, so really it's, you know, staying focused and, and, and kind of designing out uh, and architecting the white paper for the first version of Pocket. And then uh, from there, seeing, taking a look at what technology is available to uh, see what we can leverage to actually build it itself or build it ourselves, right? So at the time, uh, uh, when we kind of finalized our first version of the white paper in 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 2019, uh, really the only available options for us to um, to launch something was either on a smart contract on Ethereum, it was either on a Cosmos Tendermint chain, or potentially on on, on Polkadot at the time. And given uh, uh, and this is something very common today that we see 
that we saw back then, uh, uh, given the volatility of the Ethereum fees, it felt like it was infeasible for us to launch Pocket as a set of smart contracts in Ethereum. And we opted to uh, 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 to choose uh, the Cosmos and Tendermint ecosystem because they had a nice uh, consensus, uh, persistence, which is storage, and, and also the peer-to-peer layer uh, already kind of out of the box with Tendermint, uh, which is needed for a blockchain. You need, you need the consensus, you know, Byzantine fault tolerance you need. Uh, uh, you need some sort, some way to store the data with the persistence, and you obviously need some way for the nodes to communicate with the peer-to-peer network. Uh, and we were able to just focus on uh, uh, building what's called the ABCI app uh, within the Tendermint ecosystem. And I would just think of it as just an app that connects into the protocol portion of what they built and uh, uh, spent uh, almost a year uh, building that out and, and launching uh, the V0 version of the protocol in, in July 2020. So, so Pocket is recently... Uh, three years live on on mainnet, uh, but really, you know, the process of building this is uh, was really a lot of trial and error. Um, uh, we'd go, you know, I spent a lot of time going to conferences, you know, uh, testing the idea, seeing what people thought if it was important. You know, we obviously thought it did, but it was important to get some 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 validation from others. Um, we kept getting yes, and we kept building it out. And you know, there'd be, you know, I'd say, hey guys, we, you know. Uh, uh, we're building this thing and, and some people who are incredibly smart would be like, hey, yeah, but how do you protect nodes from uh, this scenario in a permissionless network? And I'd be like, you know, that's a great question. I actually have no idea. And then I'd go back, you know, work with with, with my co-founders and, and and then we'd figure out the problem. And it was a very iterative process in, in that respect. Uh, we, we, we really have tried to not um, reinvent the wheel and we've always tried to use um, uh, uh, the existing technology uh, to, to to really leverage the existing technology that was available at the time to to, to build what we have up to, up until now. Cool, very cool, awesome. Um, so I want to I want to back up a little bit to a basic question. Um, well, I mean not basic, but I never heard of this. It's called D Pin, right? Um, what is D Pin, and why is there a growing focus on it today? Yeah, uh, DPIN is decentralized physical infrastructure networks. Um, so, so it's a long way of saying um, protocols that incentivize people to run servers. Basically, um, the actual hard infrastructure that uh, even the internet runs on today, which you know you see you know, Google, Amazon, Microsoft uh, uh, have a lot of the cloud market share today. Um, you have DPIN, uh, which is uh, more individuals. Uh, contributing their server resources to various different infrastructure protocols. So um, I would say, you know, Pocket is something like this. Uh, uh, all of the storage protocols like Arweave, Filecoin, IPFS are, are under the DPIN umbrella as well. I would say the indexing protocols like the Graph as well. Um, folks who are, uh, uh, and, and what I'd say is that, you know, these are folks who are either owning and uh, operating their own servers within data centers or renting bare metal servers uh, within data centers. Uh, and that's purely because of, of the cost of it. Um, uh, it's much cheaper to, to own and, 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 and lease some space in a data center than uh, spin up a, a server uh, on Google, on Google Cloud, for example, or, or, or Amazon Web Services. And really the whole thing behind uh, uh, DPIN is that uh, you've got all these folks uh, uh, or yeah, you know, the whole thing behind DPIN is really that we can, we believe we can provide infrastructure uh, much more reliably, uh, much more cheaply, and much more quickly uh, uh, by virtue of being decentralized. 
Um, so rather than, and because of the way that infrastructure works, um, you know, if you are in, you know, uh, uh, Turkey and you're hitting a server that is in, you know, US East, for example, that's going to take uh, a long time for, for that data to reach you rather than if that server was in Frankfurt, for example, if you think about just the speed of light and that data going back and forth. Right. And the key piece here is that by by being able to incentivize people to purchase these servers or rent them on bare metal providers, uh, you actually have a much more distributed and much more cost effective uh, uh, underlying network that then, you know, that value then gets accrued to either the application or the end user that's building on top of it. I, what I love about podcasting is I learn something new every day. <laughs> so it's good. Um, okay. So. The centralized infrastructures that exist today pose some issues in blockchain networks, right? Um, and these areas include outages, monopolies, censorship. What are some of those issues? Um, and then how do we deal with them? Yeah, I mean, you know, we see uh, AWS going down pretty pretty regularly. Um, I know they've gone down several times in the last several, several years. Um, and having uh, dependency on one single service provider is what causes, you know, real outages uh, uh, when it comes to, you know, some application, right? When there was a pretty severe outage um, a year and a half ago or two years ago where, you know, good chunks of the internet were literally inaccessible at the time, right? So when you have, um, you know, deep in, right, you know, you've got, in most cases, dozens or hundreds or even thousands of individuals running infrastructure in different setups, uh, at different data centers. So no matter what happens, uh, uh, you have the resiliency there that that, that avoids these sorts of outages. Uh, the other piece uh, when we talk about the infrastructure is, I think you mentioned privacy um, or, or, or security. Um, you know, we had the tornado cache issue happen um, about, about 18 months ago, I believe. And um, that was you know, the US government saying, hey, you know, uh, uh, you have to sanction uh, uh, these uh, addresses because of the tornado cache, which we're still seeing litigated today and to be able to have um, a network that uh, 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 that can't control um, uh, whether something gets hosted or not uh, just for security and privacy sake is, is really critical. I mean, I think we're all saying here that it's you know, privacy, for example, is just um, a fundamental human right on the internet. And uh, we want to be able to build things uh, uh, that, um, uh, that help enable that at the end of the day. And, that's not to say that, you know, if you're breaking the law, you, you, you shouldn't be prosecuted or anything like that. But that doesn't mean that we can't respect our, our privacy um, as, as individuals and, and as humans. So I do believe that that these different infrastructure uh, uh, networks that are being built are going to go a long way in helping provide that. And these, you know, tornado cash. Interesting. Um, what is the, you know, did they really break the law? Is it really a law broken or was it that entities don't understand decentralized infrastructures and maybe, and, and if they don't, they should, right? And, and how are these decentralized infrastructures better equipped to handle, you know, these critical areas of privacy and censorship and stuff like that um, when they're not really understood by the people who are creating the laws? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, the question of our time, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they built a tool. Um, a tool can be used for good and for bad, right? I can use a hammer to to build a house or or hit someone in the head, right? So, um, at the end of the day, it's it's what's the infrastructure around the tools that help 
um, uh, uh, ensure that we don't have bad actors or people doing illegal things or, or whatever it might be. Um, and, and, and when you have networks like, like pocket that are truly international, you know, the U S may have sanctions, you know, pocket network Inc, which we had to comply with as a gateway provider, but that doesn't mean that the supply side of the network that's in Europe or Australia or South America, uh, uh, need to need to comply with that. So at the end of the day, what happens is people can then, you know, find alternate routes to access the data that they need for, for their applications, uh, or even, uh, services like tornado cash. Um, uh, in a future world, when we have uh, our V1 version of the protocol, they uh, uh, could have been able to install our SDK and completely bypass a gateway altogether uh, uh, and just directly communicate with the nodes rather than having a, a, an intermediary like Pocket Network Inc. that is helping you know provide a good user experience and uh, you know endpoints and these sorts of things. But at the end of the day, if you need to access the data, you should be able to do, to do so permissionlessly, right? So one well, so one way to that decentralized infrastructures are better equipped is the uh, access to nodes, right? Quicker communication, um, and then what are what are some others? Yeah, we uh, we you know our head of uh, protocol, uh, uh, Daniel Shansky. He, he there's a lot of trilemmas in the blockchain space. Uh, he he coined the uh, RPC trilemma. Uh, so that's reliability, performance, and cost. Uh, uh, so those are the, you know, when people are using Pocket, they're actually using Pocket on the merits of, in most cases, on the merits of, of the quality of the service itself. So um, really a big piece of the promise here from not just Pocket, but many deep in networks is, is that reliability, performance, and cost benefit. Um, so, you know, to give some, some, some examples here, you know, on the cost side, uh, uh, the cloud, is by far the most expensive. There's kind of three levels of, of, of infrastructure, if you will. Uh, the cloud is by far the most expensive. Uh, 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 if you're running or renting a bare metal service, uh, that's a one single server that you're renting at you know, Hetzner or OVH or something like that. It's generally about five times cheaper than the cloud. And uh, uh, if you're purchasing a server and uh, uh, then hosting it in a data center yourself, you're looking at something that's two to three times cheaper than than, than the bare metal option. Uh, uh, so when we talk about cost at a fundamentals level, <clears throat> the question is where the value accrues in the value chain, right? We've got Amazon and we've got Google that have obviously accrued a lot of value um, uh, with what they're building. Uh, but it's our belief that if you know uh, uh, we're building this this kind of modular uh, uh, ecosystem within you know not just the protocols, but you're going to see. You know the various different pieces of the middleware stack being built on top of it. That value is going to accrue across the board from you know the very bottom of people running the servers to the end user using whichever DAP, right? You know you see it with you know how people are trying to solve MEV, for example, and and, and where that value is accruing. And and just generally, um, I think we'll 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 be in a in a better world with 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 these protocols while being able to accrue lots of value, but being governed by the users at the end of the day. So. Um, uh, there's a performance side of things, right? If you look at an infrastructure provider, uh, they're generally in one, two, three, maybe five uh, regions around the world. Um, uh, we have the ability to launch many more regions much more quickly because we don't uh, uh, bear the underlying cost of running that infrastructure as a company, for example. So uh, we actually have 16 gateways around the world where uh, uh, the end user can then access uh, their information, ensuring that you are connected to the closest node humanly possible so that you can get your data as quickly as possible. 
And then especially on the reliability portion, uh, uh, we have a lot of redundancy within most deep end networks uh, so that, you know, full nodes, for example, are very finicky. Uh, they, they, they go out of sync, they go down, they restart. Um, and having uh, uh, many people operating these nodes, uh, uh, not just in one region, uh, uh, results in a lot of redundancy, ensuring that you have uh, basically full uptime with, with your application, right? So that's, those are really uh, the, main, the main portions there. And, and I'd say that Pocket Network Inc., we're building a business on top of Pocket Network, and we are now you know, load balancing uh, uh, serving real users. And, uh, uh, you know, I'd say we're probably the largest scale company, uh, you know, doing one to 2 billion requests a day with a pr completely permissionless network uh, uh, underlying us, which I think is a really cool and, and amazing thing. You know, uh, you reminded me of something when you talked about Amazon. And I don't remember if you remember this. It used to be, I used to have a bread wallet, a BRD wallet, right? And I was trading back in 2018, 19. And at the time, Amazon said, we'll never, ever enter the crypto space. And so I had a technical complaint with BRD and I got an email back and it went through, it went through Amazon. Amazon was the underlying infrastructure that BRD built their decentralized wallet. And I was like, I don't understand why, you know, um, this is happening. So I want to talk about, you know, the middleware stack that you use, you know, how does that work and how is it decentralized and how we're not relying on the centralized, you know, uh, players, um, what makes you different and unique? Yeah. So you've got a company like Amazon, um, massive company, and uh, uh, the actual company is what's coordinating the global infrastructure footprint that they have with all the data centers that they have around the world, right? Um, that company has overhead, it has costs, they have to take a margin, which are incredibly high. Uh, they take incredibly high margins with, with what they're building, um, uh, whereby you have a protocol like Pocket, uh, which doesn't, which coordinates this infrastructure uh, uh, the same as uh, an Amazon would, uh, but doesn't take any rent uh, because you have this network of um, individuals who are then you know, directly providing the service. And the important part is that the coordination is happening via uh, the protocol's rules that everyone is agreeing by. And as a result, uh, you're removing out uh, one very critical and important cost center and coordination center and where decisions get made and saying, hey, you know, it's either no rent and it's, 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 you're not, uh, uh, the, the protocol is not taking any rent and the actual users of the protocol are dictating what the rules are, right? So, you know, a protocol like Pocket, um, you know, has a DAO. Uh, the DAO votes on on various things, whether it's um, the monetary policy, uh, the DAO treasury or protocol upgrades. But um, uh, the important part is that uh, this protocol and what I view blockchains as purely just, you know, coordination uh, systems. They're, they're coordinating humans and there's not been very many of those in the history of humanity. Um, uh, and these are really the first ones that are, you know, native to the internet, uh, which is even more impactful. But at the end of the day, you're removing this massive um, need of overhead and replacing that with a protocol that that doesn't take any rent. And that for me is what's really special about not just Pocket, but many other middleware protocols that are being built, uh, whether that's Arweave or, or Fleek or some of the privacy preserving, preserving stuff like, like Aztec or uh, uh, Hopper nodes, for example. Um, these are all different middleware protocols, uh, but at the end of the day are, are, are solving things in a similar way where you're kind of removing the need for a centralized company to have 
uh, require all this overhead and replacing that with a protocol that doesn't take any rent. Would the same be true for like decentralized Oracle networks? I would say so. Um, I, the, although, although I'd say the costs or the scale might be a little bit different. Um, the important part about Oracle networks um, is that uh, it's very difficult for a, a blockchain to take um, exogenous information and um, uh, making sure that that data is 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 uh, on that on chain data is is true and, and and validated is is really what Oracle networks do. I think it's actually an interesting notion there. Um, uh, a pocket is actually kind of the inverse of of a chain link, uh, where chain link is taking external data, verifying it, and then putting it on chain. We take on chain data, verify it, and then send it out to the end user. Uh, so we're a bit of an inverse in that respect. Interesting, interesting. I think you probably need to put both together to work well and efficiently in order to, yes. you know, great. So um, let's talk about efficiency quickly. You know, um, in a world where, say, there's no AWS, there's no centralized player, you know, um, you have an efficient RPC process, right? Um, and everything's running, you know, optimized. What's possible? What becomes possible in that kind of world? Oh, man. Um, well, I think it'll unlock uh, a level of compute that uh, uh, we're heading towards that will make the world uh It'll make the leverage that we have as humans uh, uh, incredibly high. Um, I mean, you know, if you saw uh, NVIDIA's uh, 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 recent uh, earnings report, um, uh, the, the whole AI uh, movement is exploding. Um, you know, it's it's definitely bubbly right now, but it's pretty inevitable that we're going to need as much compute as possible, uh, particularly as more and more commerce uh, and what we do just moves uh, onto the internet and, and I believe eventually on chain. Um, uh, there's going to be more need for more compute across the board uh, with everything that's happening. And to be able to unlock more of that with more efficient, cost-effective infrastructure, uh, I think it's going to be beneficial for humanity, particularly when what's unlocking that are these uh, protocols that are public goods that are governed by their users, right? You know, you can get in the whole debate with, you know, open AI and, 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 and so on and so forth with that being um, uh, uh, not open source, right? Uh, where, where we're having these things that are open source, usable by anyone, forkable by anyone, uh, uh, will generally be much better for, for the world, in, in, in my opinion. Awesome. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that plays out. You know, um, right now I'm a, little, I'm a little fearful of the AI whole thing, you know, but, um, you know, uh, yeah, how do you think it's going to play out? You know, um, I wish I was uh, knowledgeable enough to, to have a really good answer, but um, I'm generally a pretty optimistic person. Uh, uh, humans tend to, to to figure things out when when things are on the line. Um, we've we've so far we've made it this far up until now. Um, uh, I think we just have to be prudent with how we think about things like the regulations. And I honestly, I think um, having um, new institutions like we're building with these different blockchains. I mean, I would consider Bitcoin and Ethereum literally institutions at this point, right? Um, uh, helping uh, provide uh, governors or, or uh, kind of breakers, if you will, uh, to, to how the stuff gets um, 
gets managed, I think will will, will go a long way in in, in helping uh, out humanity to some degree. But um, generally, I'm I'm pretty I'm more on the optimistic side. Um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, in kind of the, the solar punk vision and, and, and using technology as tools to enable ourselves as human, right? As humans, right? So, um, uh, and we, we we tend to be pretty um, uh, uh, creative uh, when when things are on the line, uh, at least uh, uh, up until now. So, I agree. That's a good perspective. Um, thank you. So. I want to thank you very much for your time today. This has been a wonderful conversation and I enjoy speaking with you and I'm looking forward to all the great things coming out of pocket network. And, and um, my last question is this is how can people find out more information about pocket network, about you, about what you guys are up to? Um, how can they follow um, your um, innovations in the space? How can they do any of that? Yeah, I definitely go to pokt.network. Um, uh, that's the main overlay website for, um, for everything that's going on. Um, and also our Twitter is at POKT network as well. Um, and that's been pretty active. We've got a pretty incredible community. I think another shout out to, I wanted to give a shout out to pocket news, POKT news. Um, uh, whoever's running the account is doing an incredible job with keeping up, uh, everything that's going, uh, on, on in the pocket universe. So, and if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at, uh, it's my last name, uh, at O underscore Rourke. Uh, so replacing the apostrophe with, with an underscore. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Jamil. Likewise, it was a pleasure.